This is VOA News. Via remote, I'm Marissa Melton. The United Nations overwhelmingly passed a draft resolution Thursday calling out the deteriorating situation in Afghanistan and setting the stage for increased aid. The action came the same day the Taliban government announced women will not be able to work out in gyms outside the home. It's the latest addition to an ever-increasing list of restrictions on women. Saba Karosi, the president of the United Nations General Assembly, told the assembly that Afghanistan is in crisis. Afghanistan is now the only state in the world that would deny girls their full rights to education. The prospect of girls' education has been left to uncertainty amid seemingly random edicts from the Taliban. Grossi also noted the hunger plaguing much of the country's population and the disastrous state of its economy. The Taliban government does not have a representative at the UN because it is not recognized by the world body as legitimate. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Thursday that Ukrainian forces have liberated 41 settlements as they advance through the south of the country. And Ukraine's army chief said officials have yet to confirm whether Russia is indeed pulling out of Kherson as it said it would. But he said Ukrainian troops had advanced seven kilometers in the past 24 hours. Ukraine's deputy defense minister, Hanna Malyar, wrote on Telegram Thursday that uh, Russian troops were destroying communications infrastructure and looting museums as they made the retreat from the city of Kherson. The website IMI said troops had blown up part of a television broadcasting center. More on that at our website, voanews.com. This is VOA News. Wall Street stocks surged on Thursday and ended with steep gains, including a nearly 1,200-point jump for the Dow, as investors seized on data showing U.S. inflation slowing to spark a rally. The Dow Jones Industrial Average jumped 3.7 percent, while the broad-based S&P 500 jumped 5.5 percent. The tech-rich NASDAQ Composite Index was the big winner, soaring a whopping 7.4%. The gains came after a closely watched government data report showed annual consumer price inflation easing to 7.7% in October. That's the lowest since January. A report has found that tweets with racial slurs have soared since Elon Musk took over Twitter. AP correspondent Norman Hall has the story. According to a digital civil rights group, instances of racial slurs have spiked on Twitter since Elon Musk purchased the influential platform, despite assurances that it had reduced hateful activity. Researchers at the Center for Countering Digital Hate found the number of tweets containing one of several different racial slurs climbed in the week after Musk bought Twitter. A racial epithet used to attack black people was found more than 26,000 times, three times the average for 2022. Slurs and offensive terms for trans people, homosexual men, Jews, and Hispanics also increased. Twitter said this week that it was making significant progress in bringing the numbers down. I'm Norman Hall. Russia's President Vladimir Putin will not attend the G20 summit in Indonesia. VOA's Diane Roberts has more. The news that Putin would not attend the G20 meeting was announced by an Indonesian government official. The move would enable the Russian leader to avoid a possible clash with the United States and its allies over the war in Ukraine. The summit would have been the first time U.S. President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin were together at a gathering since the start of the Russian war in Ukraine. 
The event will take place on the Indonesian island of Bali and will start on November the 15th. Diane Roberts, VOA News. Brazilian President-elect Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva blasted outgoing President Jair Bolsonaro on Thursday for involving the armed forces in auditing the country's electronic voting system. Bolsonaro says without proof that the current system is vulnerable to fraud. Conspiracy theorist Alex Jones and his company have been ordered to pay an extra $473 million to families and an FBI agent for calling the 2012 Sandy Hook school shooting a hoax. That brings the uh, final judgment against him to a staggering $1.44 billion. More on that and all the stories we're covering at our website, voanews.com. Via remote, I'm Marissa Melton, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Butte in Washington. Today is Friday, November 11th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Kenya's Dadaab camp braces for increased Somali refugee arrivals. Support is needed at the, to be able to provide nutrition for the children and the pregnant and lactating mothers that are finding themselves into the country. France takes a migrant ship after spat with Italy. Liberia conducts its first census in over 10 years today, Friday, amid controversy. A Kenyan court drops $60 million fraud case against Deputy President. Zambian police say gender-based violence rose in the third quarter of this year. A South Sudan rebel leader says conditions in the country are now ripe to hold the country's first national election since independence. Any fair elections, uh, James, require peace in the first place. And then freedom and fair processes, which are not there in South Sudan. And it appears the midterm elections did not turn out well for former President Donald Trump. Those stories plus something Umali sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Groups in Kenya say tens of thousands of additional refugees from Somalia are expected to arrive in coming weeks as Somalia and the Horn of Africa deal with an ongoing severe drought and hunger. The International Rescue Committee says 55,000 Somali refugees already have arrived in Kenya's Dadaab camp over the past year. Mohammed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. The Dadaab camp in northern Kenya are currently home to about 230,000 people, most of them Somalis who fled conflict and hard living conditions over the past few decades. The International Rescue Committee advocacy manager in Kenya, Jamin Kuswania, says the camps are now receiving drought victims who urgently need food and medicine. We are receiving persons who have been affected by drought and uh, then the aspect of drought is synonymous with malnutrition. And so we are receiving malnutrition persons coming into the dub. We have uh, noted incidents of even missiles being found within the new arrivals coming into the dub. And the organization of see we uh, continue to support through nutrition, through health provision to this particular category of people. Aid agencies say the camp has received at least 20,000 new arrivals in Somalia in the past 10 months and 55,000 total over the past year. Agencies are expecting another 60,000 arrivals over the next six months. Amina Ali in her 30s is one of the recent arrivals. She lived in Dadaab previously 
went back to Somalia in 2017, but she returned when life there became unbearable for her young family. Ali says she fled the port city of Kismayo in southern Somalia after losing her ghost to drought. She says she feels safe in the camp and got some food, but adds there is not enough support for her and her seven children. I still live with people. I don't have my own shelter. Ali says my children are at home and they're yet to go to school. We have many needs and would like to get more assistance. Those living in the calm face of overcrowding, poor sanitation and inadequate access to essential services. The camp has recorded cases of missiles and cholera and aid agencies fear the crowded conditions will encourage further spread of diseases. Kusania says the humanitarian needs are increasing and more assistance is needed to care for the refugees in the camp. Support is needed at the, to be able to provide nutrition for the children and the pregnant and lactating mothers that are finding themselves into the country. Support is needed to be able to ensure that we have adequate shelter for this particular category of people. Support is needed to be able to ensure that our food is actually available to uh, these categories of persons, including human resources to be able to provide uh, psychosocial and GBV response to the populations that we are seeing arriving into the country. Like the rest of East Africa, Kenya is facing a severe drought, which has made more than 4 million people food insecure. Aid agencies warn of famine in Somalia if there is not enough support to increase humanitarian assistance. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. France has resolved a days-long spite with Italy's right-wing government by agreeing to take in a ship carrying more than 200 migrants rescued in the Mediterranean Sea. The Ocean Viking is due to dock in the southern French port of Toulon on today, Friday. But relations with Rome remain bitter. As Lisa Bryan reports from Paris, the spat underscores Europe's unresolved dilemma of how to jointly handle asylum seekers, including those from Ukraine. For the 234 migrants aboard Ocean Viking, France's agreement to take them in was the end of a long odyssey. They hail from a mix of countries, including Bangladesh, Syria, and Eritrea. And they count among hundreds rescued from the Mediterranean in late October by NGO SOS Mediterranee and the Red Cross. Italian officials finally allowed three boatloads to disembark, but not the Ocean Viking. French Interior Minister Gérard Darmanin called Rome's behavior unacceptable and warned there would be strong consequences in bilateral relations. France and Germany are expected to each welcome one-third of those on board. The rest will reportedly be shared among other European Union member states. Questions over fairly sharing asylum seekers, many arriving in Europe via the Mediterranean, aren't new. For years, frontline countries like Italy and Greece have demanded that other EU members take in more. But tensions have sharpened since Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney came to power in Italy. In France, the main opposition, the anti-immigrant far-right National Rally Party, also opposed letting Ocean Vikings migrants ashore. It would make France a suction cup for immigration, said party president Jordan Bardella. 
it would be unending. The several hundred thousand non-European asylum seekers who have arrived in the EU this year dwarf the more than million who surged into the bloc in 2015. But that number doesn't include the more than four million Ukrainian refugees who have been granted automatic asylum in the EU. Reports suggest migrant shelters in places such as Brussels, the EU's de facto capital, are packed with Ukrainians getting priority. Lorena Martini, who specializes in migration at the European Council on Foreign Relations think tank, says the Ukraine crisis should galvanize more European solidarity toward asylum seekers from elsewhere. Some countries that once shunned migrants, like Poland, are now taking a major share of Ukrainian refugees. Some fear Europe's welcome mat for Ukrainians might disappear as well as winter sets in, possibly driving a new refugee in flux westward. Lisa Bryant for VOA News, Paris. A court in Kenya has allowed prosecutors to withdraw a $60 million fraud case against the country's deputy president who was elected in August. Juma Majanga reports from Nairobi. In granting the request by the prosecution to withdraw the $60 million U.S. dollars corruption case against deputy president Gadi Gashagwa on Thursday, Anti-corruption court magistrate Victor Wakumile cited insufficient evidence. Gashagwa was charged with corruption in July of last year with nine other people and companies and was released after depositing a cash bail equal to about 100,000 US dollars. He has denied any wrongdoing. Earlier this month, Kenya's director of public prosecutions, Nurdin Haji, asked the court to allow the withdrawal of the corruption charges against the newly elected deputy president. The court, however, has warned the accused persons that they may be rearrested in future over the same charges should investigators find evidence. A number of cases involving allies of President William Ruto have been withdrawn by prosecutors since Ruto was elected president and formed Kenya's new government. Juma Majanga, VOA Africa News Center, Nairobi, Kenya. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Barton in Washington. Today is Friday, November 11. And still to come on our program, Samsung O'Malley Sports. In South Sudan, the leader of the Rebel National Salvation Front, also known as NAS, says his group will not take part in what he calls sham elections if and whenever the vote is held. General Thomas Cirillo says the atmosphere is not ripe to hold any elections in South Sudan. He cites ongoing battles between President Salva Kiir's government and opposition groups and a displaced population. According to the 2018 Revitalized Peace Agreement, South Sudan's first general election since gaining independence in 2011 should have taken place in March this year, but the process has been riddled with delays. Cirillo and other members of the South Sudan Opposition Movement Alliance, also known as SOMA, have yet to ratify the agreement. It was reported late last month that Cirillo, who reportedly left the opposition alliance, had returned to the group. But Cirillo tells me that he never left and that it was all propaganda that he had left the group. The National Salvation Front has never left any alliance. NAS is one of the biggest opposition groups in the country and is the major party of the SOMA alliance. But due to differences among the members, one member, the South Sudan United Front South, 
uh, was dismissed and uh, another party, the real SPLM, refused to sign SOMA charter. Uh, so this technically ceasing to be a member. Uh, so James Nas has not rejoined any alliance. These are fabrications aimed at advancing negative propaganda against Nas and to cause confusion among our members and the people of South Sudan. So the last time I spoke with you, General, you and your group had not ratified the Revitalized Comprehensive Peace Agreement. Are you ready this time to ratify that agreement? We rejected the access agreement and we refused to sign this agreement because the agreement is flawed and never addressed the root causes of the conflict. We still maintain this position, James, today and now, four years later, we stand vindicated and correct in our position our political analysis, and our assessment. This agreement has not brought about uh, the peace that our people were yearning for, and the period of this government is expiring in February next year. General, there are talks of uh, elections soon to come in South Sudan. Do you think the atmosphere is ripe for elections in South Sudan, and uh, would you participate? It's not ripe for elections to be held in South Sudan. There are different types of wars, James, in South Sudan, as we talk, the government is fighting the opposition groups that did not sign the agreement, plus the ongoing communities wars. Half of the population uh, of South Sudan is outside the country as refugees, and the rest inside the country, most of them are displaced. Any fair elections, uh, James, require peace in the first place, and then uh, freedom and fair processes, which are not there in South Sudan. For example, fair and legal political party registration, other legal processes, and then voter registration and census. The issue of the conflict in South Sudan must be addressed first before any elections are conducted in the country. So the National Salvation Front for these reasons will not take part in any shame elections that will only help in legitimizing the status quo to continue destroying the country, killing our people, and uh, destabilizing uh, the whole country. Thank you so much again, General. It's very, very nice to talk with you, and welcome back. Thank you very much, James. General Thomas Cirillo Swaka is the leader of the Rebel National Salvation Front of South Sudan. A Zambian gender activist says the worrying trend in Zambia about gender-based violence is the growing number of women who are being killed. Beauty Katebe, who is also former chair of the Zambia National Women's Lobby, says Zambian women need protection. This after Zambian police on Thursday say they recorded 8,790 cases of gender-based violence countrywide during the third quarter of 2022. Katebe tells me that married couples and children in Zambia need protection. I think uh, the reaction is always the same because uh, anything that is negative, the expectation of um, a normal citizen is to see a reduction in the numbers as you go by. And what is very worrying for us in Zambia is that um, the gender-based violence that we experience today is very different from the gender-based violence that we experienced yesterday because the one we are experiencing today is characterized by killings. Either a woman will kill a man or a man will kill a woman, of course, with a bias towards the women being the, the most victim in the cases. What I would want to say is that um, maybe even as I speak to you, 
I would still urge the families to strengthen efforts in the protection of uh, married couples, uh, children, and of course uh, the women in these cases. It's quite alarming that uh, it becomes very difficult for me, even as an activist, to comment on them because uh, the worrisome situation, as it were. Tell me which one you think is correct, uh, Beauty. Some people are blaming this on frustration by men because of what they call the poor economy in Zambia, while others are saying that this is just due to power play where men try to exercise their superiority over women. Which one is accurate? It's actually both because, um, as I mentioned earlier, a good number of women are dependent on, on men. And those men, if they don't find anything meaningful that they should do to bring food on the table, of course there is that frustration, there is that hunger, there is that anger, and uh, it brings a lot of confusion in the home. There are certain households that are living below a dollar per day. Those are houses where you find that people fight even over food, over a very small amount of money that was supposed to be spent on this and the wife has spent it on a different thing and there will be a big fight. Thank you so much again, Beauty. It's very nice to talk with you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to talk to you too. Beauty Katebe is a Zambian gender activist and former chair of the Zambian National Women's Lobby. She was speaking with us from the capital, Lusaka. Liberia is expected to conduct a national census beginning today, Friday, to determine the actual population of the country. But the outcome of the census remains unclear, as there have been controversies leading up to its launch. Moses Gaziewu reports from Monrovia. The Liberian constitution mandates that a national population and housing census be conducted every 10 years to determine the actual number of people living in the country. But it's already been 14 years since the last one was in 2008, the government has struggled with funding and corruption issues surrounding officials from the Liberia Institute of Statistics and Geo-Information Services or LIGES, the institution responsible to conduct the census. There have been pockets of protests across the country carried out by those being trained to conduct the census. A member of the Liberian House of Representatives with oversight for the procedure, Larry Yonkwe, says the country is not ready. He wants a pause to the process. I'm calling on my colleagues for the senators and the representatives of me to stop this thing temporarily. We look at 17,000 persons from the UN portal system, meaning that all partisanship, all family relationship, all will be put out. Let us go on record that these people were trained for 10 solid days. Representative Yonkwe fears that efforts could be disrupted and boycotted due to the failure of the government to pay census workers and also experts who were taxed to carry out training for trainers. I'm not sure whether 30% of the people that are supposed to be paid have been paid. The master trainer that trained the TOT trainers. Then those that were the trainees of the TOT who are now in the countries to train have not been paid. I visited on Thursday evening the office of Lages. I noticed that coordinators were still on the premises of the facility waiting for their assignments and monetary support to go into the field. Even in the counties, there seems to be an unwillingness on the part of some of those expected to count the population. I am not prepared because from the day we came for this warm training, we have been here over three weeks and nothing has been done by nature. They are not giving us a dime, a dime they are not giving us. 
civil society has also questioned the credibility of the census doubting its outcome. Among those doubters is Anasim Mame, who is the head of the Center for Transparency and Accountability in Liberia, Sintad. He said those heading the institution lack the credibility to conduct a transparent process. LACC has come up with its report. There have been allegations of corruption against the officials that are overseeing this process. And so to the best of our recollection, nothing has really happened. The appointing authority has not acted. And their continued presence uh, at the hem of authority alleges to oversee this process post of then on the repetition of the process. Earlier this year, the Liberia Anti-Corruption Commission indicted two senior officials Officials of ledges for corruption, but I still superintended the censors. Memi also fears that people might not be counted due to inadequate planning. As Liberians will be staying home today to be counted, most of them are not sure how the process will proceed due to a lack of civic education. Meanwhile, all attempts to speak to ledges officials fail to materialize as for some unexplained reasons, I was not able to meet with the head of the center, Wilmer Smith. The government could not also declare its position as the information minister ledger who their mobile phone directed me to ledges for an official statement. Liberians would be at home, but it's not clear they will be counted if census workers fail to canvas or areas. Moses Gazeo, VOA News, Monrovia. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is something Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, something. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with the final preparations for the 2022 Qatar World Cup by African teams representing the continent at the biggest football showpiece in the world. With exactly 10 days to the start of the World Cup, the Moroccan coach Walid Regragio unveiled on Thursday his list of 26 players for the World Cup. The Atlas Lions will rely on the attacking talent of Hakim Ziyech, the Chelsea winger who has returned to the national team after being dropped by the previous coach, Vahid Halidojic. Another returnee is Abdurazak Hamdala of Etihad FC, who publicly apologized for having slammed the door at the African Cup of Nations in 2019. The big surprise is the selection of a teenager from Belgium by the name of Bilal El Kanous, who is only 18 years old. Morocco will play in Group F and will on November 23rd play their first match against Croatia. The Atlas Lions will then face Romelu Lukaku's Belgium before meeting Alfonso's Davis of Canada. Elsewhere, Timothy Weir, the son of Liberian President George Weir, is among the 26 players selected to represent the United States at the World Cup in Qatar. Born in Brooklyn, the 22-year-old striker is fulfilling a dream that even his illustrious father, who won the Golden Ball in 1995, had not achieved. Tim Ware has scored three goals, including one against Morocco in a friendly last June. He won't be the only Liberian-born player heading to Qatar, as coach Greg Belhalter has chosen to call up Haji Wright, the young striker from Antalaspor in Turkey. The U.S. will also rely on American Ghanaian prodigy Yunus Musa. Back here in Africa, Cameroon's coach Rizobet Song has unveiled his list of 26 indomitable Lions for the World Cup. The squad features stars like Abubakar Vincent and Jean-Eric Maxim 
Chuap Muateng, as well as Napoli's Zambo Anguisa. There are many surprises, however, with the presence of defender Nicolas Nklolu back after a three-year absence. In Ghana, the country's sports minister, Mustafa Usif, says the government has no plans to airlift fans to Qatar 2022 with taxpayers' money. According to the minister, the decision was being necessitated by the current economic hardship that Ghana is facing. And now to the CAF Women Champions League. Defending champions Mebelodi Sundowns of South Africa reached the final for the second successive CAF Women's Champions League tournament following a 1-0 victory over Simba Queens of Tanzania in Rabat on Wednesday. The win means Jerry Shabalala's side has reached the Champions League final for the second straight season. Host AS4 secured a 1-0 semi-final victory over Bayaso Queens of Nigeria to set up a final clash against the defending champions Melody Sundown. And that's it for Friday's edition of Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, November 11th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton in Washington, wishing that you will have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday morning. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, guest host of Press Conference USA. Tatiana Voroshko from VOA's Ukrainian Service talks with Peter Pomerantsev about the false rhetoric Russia uses to justify its invasion of Ukraine. Pomerantsev compares Moscow's use of propaganda to Nazi Germany's during World War II. He urges the world to condemn this disinformation campaign and the atrocities which flow from it. The dangers of Russian propaganda next on Press Conference USA on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music. From bubble music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 0905 and 2005 UTC right after the international news. 